this be an offering of praise as we recognize that you are a good father, faithful to us, faithful to sustain, and faithful to provide. We thank you, Lord, for the trust you place in us to steward things well and with wisdom. And as we do this, as we invest in your church for the sake of the kingdom, we believe that you will continue to use New Life Church in great and impactful ways. We thank you, Father, for this yet another way of showing our praise and thanksgiving to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Today we are concluding our series. Thank you, Albert. Appreciate you, man. Today we're concluding our series uh, in this "Love Does" uh, series, and uh, I've I've enjoyed it. And I had a plan for this Sunday, and it got turned on its ear. I literally, even in staff meeting, everybody had. I told them the plan. I, I uh, told you guys last week what, what we were going to be talking about, and I lied. And so I'm talking about lying today. No, I'm just kidding. But. Um, <laughs> Uh, first love, you, you watch the Bambi movie, you know, Twitter patient, there's no feeling like that, right? When you just meet that other person and you're just in that early stage and everything they do is perfect. Like it doesn't matter what they do. It could be the grossest thing. You're like, it is the cutest thing they do. You know, like the way they burp is just so cute. It's adorable. And you, you know, those little adorable idiosyncrasies you loved when you were first dating. Well, it turns out. After about 15 years of marriage, those become what the police refer to as motive. Uh, so uh, that initial fervor of the relationship can start to wane, can't it? There's like that, that burning, really hot, passionate excitement about a relationship. And if, if you're not careful, it can turn into something that's just kind of the day-to-day, that we're almost like roommates in a way, that we're just taking the kids to school, we're paying the bills, and we're just day-to-day, uh, it's just kind of going through the motions. And so um, a lot like Newton's law, friction and resistance will work against the momentum of a relationship. There are things that want to work against the momentum of a relationship. I have here, I'm going to do a very scientific experiment. I encourage you to please do not try this at home. You are in the company of a professional right now, okay? I'm just, everybody gets really excited. Last service when I did this, and it's, I was just kidding. It's a joke. It's a pool ball. But you'll notice here, I'm going to roll this pool ball. Everybody ready? Drum roll, please. Here we go. Here we go. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody was uh, feeling pretty much the same way. They're like, that was a disappointment, last service. Okay. But there was meaning, hopefully, behind me rolling that pool ball. Okay. So with this rolling the ball, it's a very scientific and profound thing you just saw there, right? That ball stays in motion and would continue in motion if it wasn't for resistance with the carpet, right? And that friction that's happening. In the same way, how would I keep that ball moving? By pushing it, thank you, by putting energy back into it, right? I'd have to put energy back into that ball to keep it in motion. And so, same thing with a relationship. If we want the relationship to continue in the fervor, in the passion, in the movement and momentum, energy needs to be put into it, right? 
And this, this isn't a, a marriage seminar right now. I'm just telling you, in, in relationships, unless energy is being put into it, it's going to die out. It's going to slow down and come to a stop. So if you have your Bibles, open them with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. Book of Revelation, uh, there's a guy named John. He has been uh, basically, he's, he's cast away on an island. And he's living on this island. And while he's there, he has a vision, a revelation, as it were. And... God shows him what eternity is going to be like. God shows him what the end times look like. And there's a lot of uh, uh, allegory and illustration that's used there. But in this vision, he has part of that vision is Jesus is walking around among these lampstands. There's seven lampstands. And Jesus is telling John to write some things down about these lampstands. Now, the lampstands represent the churches that had been planted in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, uh, they'd gone out and planted the early church. And these lampstands represent the different communities of faith that had been established. And so here's what Jesus says for John to write down. It says this, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. The, uh, the very first dictionary that was printed in Poland was printed in 1746. And it included some interesting definitions. One of which was, this is real, horse. Everyone knows what a horse is. That was the definition in the dictionary. The, I mean, I guess it makes sense. Like, how, how much more can you explain a horse? A horse is a horse, of course, of course. But in our Christian walk, there seem to be some things that are kind of so self-evident like that, right? Like, horse, how can you not know what a horse is? In our Christian walk, when we say you should love Jesus, it's like, well, yeah, like, that's the whole point, right? That's why we're here. Christian literally means little Christ. It means we serve Jesus. It means we're... That's why we're in this room, Pastor Brent. We're here because of Jesus, right? It's pretty self-evident. It would seem pretty clear. But uh, John prophetically writes about Jesus warning this church that they actually were missing the point that they had abandoned their first love. And so, from the outside looking in, if you were to look at this church on, at, at Ephesus, I would think... Is there a church that has it going on? That's the one. Because look at what Jesus says. I think Jesus kind of has that approach to conflict where he kind of does the, the compliment sandwich. He's like, let's say something nice and then I'll tear you apart and then I'll say something nice. You know, that kind of thing. So he starts off uh, with, with telling them what they're doing well, right? He says here, uh, verse 2, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. This church was working hard for Jesus. He says, I see how much work you're putting in. I imagine they were running a food bank that was doing great. I think they had church work days every single month. And they, their parking lot looked immaculate. There was no big pile of sticks out in their parking lot. Oh, no. They, they were working hard. They, were, they had a, a men's breakfast out every Saturday. They had women's teas. They had uh, all the ministry volunteers were filled. Their kids' ministry was full of volunteers and people working. Their worship team was on point. People were not slowing down. They were work, 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 working, right? They were working hard. And Jesus says, I see that you're working hard. But they're still missing something. 
There's nothing wrong with working hard for Jesus. This is his compliment, right? He's starting off with saying you're doing this well. But I'm reminded of another time that Jesus saw someone working really hard but missed the most important thing. Maybe your brain already went to this story if you're familiar with it. In the book of Luke chapter 10, Jesus and his disciples are walking along and they got to, this, to Jerusalem and they came to a village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She had a turkey in the oven. She had things everywhere. It was just crazy. And she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Apparently they had kind of a a power dynamic issue. She had to have somebody else intervene in their relationship. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Is food important? Is Thanksgiving dinner important? Sure. You know, all the preparation, are these things important? But he says, Mary has found the most important thing. And so often we can get caught up with the busy, busy, busy things to do. I show I love God because I'm busy for God. As an example, if... I showed Hosanna my love for her, and the way I lived out my love for her was by painting the house and fixing the garbage disposal and mowing the lawn and uh, washing the dishes. Let me tell you, she would love it if I did all those things. Don't get me wrong, and I I should. I should, as a good husband, do those things. But if that's the exclusive way that I express love to Hosanna, all I would be is a live-in handyman. And we are supposed to have a relationship that's passionate love for Christ, but yet often we say, the way I show that is because I'm very, very busy for Him. I'm running around, I'm doing all these things, and Jesus says, I see your busyness, but you're still missing it. I see how busy you are, but you're missing it. Where's the relationship at? And then He goes on, more compliments, He says, I also see how you can't bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. They were very careful with their theology. They, they tested the spirits. They knew right doctrine, basically, right? Um, Ephesus was the epicenter of a cult called the Imperial Cult. It was Caesar Augustus had started this cult, and he basically said, everyone can just worship me. That sounds great. And so after he died, they kept the, the thing going where everybody's supposed to worship Caesar. Uh, as a matter of fact, Caesar Domitian had the city named the guardian of the imperial cult. So this major cult worship of the emperor existed there. It was also heavily influenced by the occult and worship of Artemis, this false god. And so there was all this spiritual pluralism and confusion that was going on. He says, I see you're doing a great job of being careful about what you believe. And let me tell you, it's important to have sound doctrine, to have solid biblical footing, to have right thinking. But I wonder if somehow the church in Ephesus had been so busy working and so busy having debates and theological debates and things like that, that it had actually clouded their vision of Jesus. It had actually taken the place of their uh, pursuing Jesus to have all these discussions and debates and having all this uh, other stuff going on. They had gotten so into the weeds on semantics and, and all these things that their focus on Jesus was lost third compliment Jesus made was, I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. You're enduring. The church was going through difficulty. They were sticking with it. Now, I think there's nothing more romantic than telling your significant other that you're enduring for them. I think that's just, there's just it's poetic. I endure you. That's, that's nice. Put that in your next Valentine's card. I endure you. Um, but the Bible actually does say that love must endure. If you've ever been to a wedding ever, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says love endures. 
That's an aspect of love. But when we make camp in the, uh, in the place where we exclusively endure, that's not a healthy place to be. Where we're just holding on for love's sake. I'm just going to hold on to Jesus till I die. It's just miserable, 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 but I'm going to hold on because that's what I got to do. And he says, I see you're enduring, I see you're busy, and I see that you're, you're, you're having lots of good theological debates, but you're missing the most important thing. Look what it says in verse 4. But I have this against you, that you've abandoned the love you had at first. Abandoned it. Now, I don't think that this church hit a day, and they just said, you know what? Let's take a vote. Who wants to just be busy for Jesus, but not love Jesus? All in favor, say aye. Okay, that's what we'll do. Right? They didn't just say, hey, it's Thursday, we'll stop loving Jesus. Uh, for those of you who are married. Was there a certain day that you started loving your spouse? I mean, we hopefully always loved them in a sense of we love everybody and things like that. But like the love I'm talking about, that love for your spouse. Um, it wasn't the day you met them, obviously. I wouldn't, I wouldn't think. Now, but we, it's not that that day didn't exist, but through time and through moments, there was a, a, eventually a moment where you knew, right? Where you were able to say, you know what? I love you. This, this, this has progressed to a point, maybe it's through the different moments that we shared together and, and getting to know the different parts of your soul and who you are. And so they, they, you come to this point where it's, it's, it's kind of this progression that takes you to a point where you know, in the same way, if you flip that around, you don't wake up one day and just abandon your first love, Jesus. But little by little, almost so incrementally that it's not measurable, there's a slow fade. I think that's what the church in Ephesus experienced. A dissipation of the passion. Just like when I rolled this ball. If you were to watch that back in really slow motion, it incrementally gets slower, right? It's not all at once. When I first release it, that's when it's moving the fastest. When I first drop it out of my hand. And how many of you know when there's that, that, that first excitement of a relationship? That first excitement of, of knowing that person that shoots off with a bang... But then there's that incremental slowing down and eventually it comes to a stop. It doesn't come out of my hand and just go back and stop. It's a slow fade. And with our relationship with Jesus, let me tell you, it's not, it's not that we just wake up and say, it's Thursday, I'm not going to serve Jesus. It's this, this slow doling to his presence. This slow getting comfortable just in the everyday Without putting energy into the relationship. And, and it's not that Jesus hasn't gone anywhere. How many of us have ever said, God, why don't I feel anything? Why don't I feel your presence? It's not that he's gone somewhere. There's a story about an old farmer and his wife driving down the road in his old pickup truck. It had a big bench seat on it. And he's driving along and his wife says, you know what? You used to love me more. You used to keep your arm around me while we drive down the road. And it was so romantic. You would sing to me and have your arm around me. Now you don't do that anymore. And he looked over at her and said, I wasn't the one that moved. I'm driving the truck. Jesus hasn't gone anywhere. But how easily do we shift and move and finally one day we realize, man, I'm not as close as I used to be. So what's the remedy? How do we return to the place where we had once been? Well, Jesus gave a prescription to the church. Luckily, he didn't say, man, you guys are failing. This is terrible. Good luck. And walk off. But he gave them directions for how to bring this back, to rekindle this, and to come back into this place that he called them to. Verse 5, he says this. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So the first thing we see here is remember. 
we need to remember. Returning to our first love begins with remembering where we came from. Do you remember when God first awakened your soul? Do you remember that feeling, that salvation experience moment when you gave your life to Christ? And everything changed. The excitement you had when, when he took you out of darkness and you felt hope for the first time. You felt that eternity was, was there and available to you and you could know God. How joyful did it feel to go from being an orphan to a son or a daughter of God. And to know that he really genuinely loves you. It changes everything. A lot of new believers can't keep their mouths shut. I got to tell everybody what Jesus means to me. Do we remember that moment where, where that first love comes and we re- recognize who Jesus is in our life? That can be the starting point where we start to recognize where's the change occurred. Do I have a greater or lesser sense of my need for God and my position with God than when I, when I was first saved? Am I as sensitive to the movement of God when we're in worship and when I'm in my personal prayer life or whatever it might be? Am I as acutely aware of that as when I've served Him before or has there been a fade? That's a hard word, isn't it? It's a hard thing to measure and a hard thing to be honest with ourselves about. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 and 12 and 13, it says this, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, Remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, and how you followed me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. He says, Remember how you used to follow me. God's calling to Israel. Remember how you used to follow me with the, the passion of a young bride, basically, and you followed me into a wilderness where there wasn't even food. There wasn't even plants growing there. That's your devotion level you had to me. But then I brought you to this promised land. And then in verse 12, it talks about their progression of walking away from him. And it says, be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me. Does that sound familiar? They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. So Jesus, God is saying, I was the fountain of living water. A fountain is not, is not a well. A fountain is flowing, flowing freely. It's like a spring. It's coming up. It's fresh. It's available. It's there now. But they said, we want to build our own system where we can hoard and hold and we can have our own uh, security there. But they built cisterns that had holes in them and couldn't hold water. And God is saying, why did you not trust me? Why did you not stay with me? I was your living water. But yet you chose to go and make cisterns that have holes. You have cisterns that can't even hold water. And, and so are you, basically, are you happy now? Is this what you were looking for? Do you feel dry? Have you spent your time building your own broken cisterns that don't satisfy? Do you remember the satisfaction and the joy of knowing Jesus? And he's calling him back. He's calling him back. To return means that we need to start with remembering where we came from. He also goes on to say then, remember where you came from and where you've fallen from. And then he says, repent. Repent. Repentance requires being real with God. It's not just a vague, yeah, I guess I've gotten kind of busy. It's like when you're meaning to get in shape. You can't be vague about it. You can't say, I just want to eat better. What's that mean? Like, I won't get the cupcake with sprinkles on it too, right? Like, 
you need to be specific when we're talking about these things. It, it's not just, yeah, God, I just need to kind of get better about things. We need to repent about the things that we have let slide, the areas that we, where we have allowed things to come in because it does not happen on accident or just by, by luck that we get back in close relationship with God. It's intentional. The author and entrepreneur Jim Rohn said this. He says, your life does not get better by chance. It gets better by change. We need to be intentional about these things. Your relationship with Jesus doesn't progress and restore and move forward on accident. We need to address the spaces that we've allowed complacency to take hold and tell God the truth. I think sometimes we're afraid of telling God the truth, right? We're like, man, he's going to be so frustrated with me. Like he's shocked at it. He's going to be like, (gasps) what? Tell him that we have entertained other loves. Repent to him for not loving him as he deserves. He's ready to forgive and restore. He is waiting to restore. Your high priest will sympathize with you. Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Everybody say grace. Grace. Oh, that was good. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I love the number of times that grace is said there and mercy. Does it say that we confidently come there so we can get smitten? No, we come receive His mercy. We, when we're honest with God and say, God, I have let, drop, let this drop off. I have failed. It requires that we actually humble ourselves and say, God, I need to repent. But the bottom line is we can't have a cassowary heart. A cassowary is a large bird that kind of looks like an emu. Here's a picture of one that lives in New Guinea in Australia. And... Uh, They say, I know, it's huge. It's enormous. (laughs) They say the meat on this bird is so tough that when people were told how to cook cassowary meat, they were told to put a stone in the pot with it. And the saying was, when the stone is ready to eat, so is the cassowary. (laughs) Do you have a heart of stone? Do you have a heart that has become hardened towards God and repentance to Him? Have you allowed that to not allow the conviction of the Holy Spirit to speak and God to work in your heart and to keep that sensitivity? Have you, when's the last time you just wept before the Lord? You just came into His presence and felt Him there. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, And I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. I was thinking about why are, what are the reasons people want to keep a hard heart? Because it protects us from being hurt. Right? If I keep a, a hard heart, then no one can wound me. Then, then I can't let somebody in and I'm not vulnerable to somebody wounding me. Let me tell you, we, th- we can think that the hardness of our heart is what protects us. Um, but do you know what the hardest material on earth is? And some people have debated this. But the most n- normal, natural, hardest material on earth that you can find is a diamond. A diamond is, is incredibly hard. But uh, while it's the hardest material, did you know that the average person, just anybody, could pick up a hammer and shatter a diamond? While it's incredibly hard, they're still incredibly easy to break because we like to think that our hardness is our armor, but actually it can be the place of our brokenness. And if we're not careful, we can can keep this hard heart towards God, but it will actually break us when God wants to say, allow me to be able to mold and work in your heart and change your heart. 
give you a new heart that can be sensitive to my spirit. So that's what God calls us to. And then lastly is this, Revelation 2.5. He says, remember therefore from where you've fallen, repent. And then the third thing is this, and do the works you did at first. Rinse and repeat. 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 And repeat. And repeat. Do what we have always done. Get, Get that consistency down into our bones. It's not just a zeal that lasts for a few moments, but it's a constant pursuit. I could take this ball and just with all of my ferocity and fury throw it. I don't know. I probably can't throw it very far. I don't have a great arm. Maybe 60 miles an hour in some direction. And it would slow down and then it would come to a stop after just a few seconds. And I could later come over and pick it up and throw it with ferocity again every once in a while. But you know what? Eventually it would come to a stop and just not keep moving. Do you know the way to keep this ball moving constantly is to consistently put energy into it? To constantly be moving it along. To have consistency is how we keep this thing moving in a healthy way. In our relationship with Jesus, it's not just about big moments. This is how I felt when I was growing up. I'd go to youth conventions and summer camps and winter camps. And I would feel the presence of God so real. And I'd be like, Jesus, I'll do anything for you. And then about two weeks later, I'd be like, nah. And I was really good at the emotional bursts, but then it would just die. Let me tell you, consistency is where it's at. If I went to the dentist or you went to the dentist just twice a year, and that's the only oral hygiene you had, your teeth will fall out of your head. That's a, that can be a really intensive cleaning, right? They can use all the thing in the, in the, in the stuff and the lights and the, all the different things. But if you only went twice, twice a week, did I say? Twice a year, your teeth will fall out of your head. It's in the everyday two minutes of just brushing that we maintain that in a healthy way. In the same way, consistency with our relationship with God is more valuable than the occasional intensity. I'll say that again because I wrote it myself. Consistency is more important than occasional intensity. It's beyond just discipline. It's beyond just saying, man, let me tell... Immortant. I don't know what immortant is. You can tell I wrote it myself. It's poorly spelled. <laughs> but it's beyond just discipline. Uh, we talk about it's important to have spiritual disciplines and things like that. We talk about prayer and Bible reading. Those are spiritual disciplines and they're important. But can I tell you that in a relationship where, where you're in love with someone, you should not tell them, I'm really just trying to have a loving, disciplined relationship with you. That just sounds really rigorous and, and structured. And it's important to have that structure, but in our relationship with Jesus, it needs to be more than just discipline. Uh, Luciano Pavarotti, he was the Italian tenor opera singer that's very famous, and especially in the 80s and early 90s. He said, people think that I'm disciplined. It's not discipline. It's devotion. There's a great difference. We need to be devoted to our King. We need to be devoted to Jesus with every portion of our being. Yes, the discipline is there in following Him, but it's about devotion. Jesus calls to us and says, Do you remember how you pursued me before? Do you remember how you pursued me before? But there's other things that have come in the way. Maybe you've been chasing more things than Jesus. Maybe you've been chasing Jesus plus fill in the blank, your career. Jesus plus a relationship. And again, relationships, careers, not wrong. But if they start to compete for Jesus and we're trying to hold both things, we will fail. Confucius said, the man who chases two rabbits catches neither. And sometimes we try to have both 
the best of both worlds, but we need to be solely committed to Jesus, pursuing Jesus. So maybe you're like the church in Ephesus in one of these ways. Maybe your work for Jesus has become the idol. It's no longer about relationship. It's about what you can achieve for Jesus. Or maybe religion has become the relationship. Having everything figured out, understanding God perfectly, having great theology, maybe that's become the relationship. Maybe you're just enduring to survive. Just hold on to Jesus. I'm not enjoying the ride, but here, here we go. And it's lost the fervor of your relationship. Today I want to invite you to come to the water that satisfies. We live in a very loud world. We live in a very loud world. You get in your car, I promise, the radio will come on. We step outside these doors, there's going to be chatter. We get home, the TV comes on. There's just noise everywhere. I just did a road trip this last week. I listened to so many Dateline podcasts. I thought everyone was going to murder me. I really did on that road trip. I was like, there are murderers everywhere. There's noise all around us. But in a world of noise, we need to listen to the whispers of Jesus. Listen to his whispers. Be attentive to him. Just turn off the noise every once in a while. And focus on him. I want to invite you back to fall in love with Jesus all over again. As we close, I want to just read this psalm. Psalm 73, verses 25 to 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart forever. He is mine forever. Is he yours? Are you pursuing him with everything you have? Let me encourage you. Don't go out and try to read 30 chapters in your Bible today. That's throwing the rock as far, or the, the pool ball as far as you can. Reading 30 chapters in the Bible and... Praying for two hours is great, but that is a moment of intensity. Let's focus on consistency. Consistently being with Jesus, finding time in his presence, pursuing him. Fall in love with him all over again. Amen. Jesus, I pray right now for your church. I thank you, God, that you are so good. I thank you that you have overcome and you have made us all overcomers through you. And God, I pray for those in this room that have to be honest and are having this moment of brutal honesty in their own hearts have said, I have allowed my love to grow cold. I have allowed it to grow stagnant. And I am just kind of going through the motions in my relationship with God. Right now, God, I pray that we would renew and rekindle that intentionality that we would repent as you've called us to, that we would remember where we came from and that we would do what we had been doing before. We would return to the old things and get back into the rhythm of knowing you personally and passionately as our Savior, the one who sets us free. And we thank you, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. New Life Church, let's stand together. Let's go with God. We will see you in life groups this week. Lord, be with this church today as we go. Let us be your hands and feet to each person we come into contact with that we would be representatives of hope in our world. And we thank you for it, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. New life. Go with God. God bless you.